Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Glad you joined us today. We have some very interesting topics here. We're going to talk about the uh, the Fang stocks. You know what Fang is? Fang. Fang, as in, you know, like Dracula kind of thing. Yes, I've, I've heard of that so, You before. know, it's almost Halloween, yeah, so is. I thought that would be a good Halloween topic thing. for us. There you go. Uh, no, I mean, we're going to talk about investing. And uh, there's a popular acronym out there called FANG that describes the big stocks, big tech stocks that are, are doing really well this year. And there's a lot of excitement about those stocks. So we're going to dig into those and say, hey, is that something that you should be considering for your portfolio? Yeah, we're going to follow that up with a discussion on emotional purchases. Steve, we know money is is emotional, and um, there's seven purchases we're going to take a look at that you want to be careful with. And you know, there's one of them on here I purposely didn't have you talk about that I uh, <laughs> we'll get to it as we go through the the, uh, the topic here. But there's one I'm on here that uh, I just couldn't allow you to even speak on it. So. Oh no, yeah, it's not like <clears throat> golf or anything. I'm not even going to tell you which one it is. But ouch, really ouch. good emotional purchases can wreck your budget. You want to make sure that you have a control over that. Okay, yeah. That's that's, that's an emotional topic. You want to hang on <laughs> with that one. And uh, But we're going to start off here, though. Um, by the way, my name is Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, and I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. That's where the podcasts uh, reside. And uh, we also have a lot of other tools, videos. Uh, check that out. A lot of resources out there. Also, a Facebook page we, uh, we post on periodically, put a video out there. And we also have a Twitter handle, which is MoneyMD. We're out there all over the place. And you can reach us by email, too. You can reach us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or you can link to us off of our, our website. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions. We're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from a, a Gallup poll. And, and Steve, the, it's really interesting how, you know, over the last 10 years or so, how things have really changed economically in the country. Um, you know, a, a recent poll back in September, only 12% of Americans surveyed uh, said that the economy was the most important problem facing the country today. And um, that's exactly opposite of what we saw back in 2009. That was 86%. So today people are talking about uh, deficits, uh, inflation, trade, obviously, uh, and even taxes as well as an issue. But um, the economy has kind of been resolved a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the economy is, is humming right along. And so that is an incredibly low number. Only 12% of Americans seem concerned about the economy um, or think that's the most important, you know, problem we face today. So, uh, yeah, that's that's quite a bit different. So, I mean, we've we've been through, you know, some great, uh, you know, great economy here recently mm -hmm. with, you know, tax cuts and um, deregulation. So it's amazing how that has changed the picture today. Very interesting fact of the week. And that leads us up to our first topic here, and that is. Fang. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, uh, a Halloween theme, theme. <laughs> today, John. <laughs> is Fang the place to invest today? That's the question. It's based on an article by the Finance Gourmet, um, recent article here. But John, you know, those listening may have never heard of Fang. Um, chances are you've heard of the stocks, though, that make up this acronym. 
acronym. And maybe, you know, you've even contemplated investing in a few of these stocks because FANG is simply an acronym for five tech companies that make up a big component of the Dow and the S&P 500. In fact, if you add Microsoft to these five companies, you, you really end up with about 11% of the S&P 500 just in those six stocks. And that's made up about 38% of the gains so far this year from those six stocks. So those stocks have gained like 30% all by themselves this year, um, while the rest of the index has barely made anything. So the obvious question is, you know, should you be focusing your investments on the FANG stocks? Yeah, so let's start at the beginning. What what does FANG, what does that include? What stocks? And so Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And as you can probably tell, these are very big, very well-known technology stocks. And they're also frequent investments among investors who only invest in a few individual stocks. And, you know, people often called Main Street investors as opposed to, you know, Wall Street investors. So one admission from that list, Steve, which is interesting, is Microsoft. Um, it's a very large, very well-known tech company, and uh, it's commonly thrown in that category. But unlike the others, Microsoft stock really is not very well loved by Wall Street in large part because it performed was was very poor performance between 2002 and 2013 um, following the last tech bubble. So Microsoft is kind of like a Walmart. I mean, it's established and it's been around a long time. It's been around a long time and it got caught up in the last tech bubble where, you know, everybody was looking at technology thinking, man, that's the place you got to you got to put all your money. And uh, yeah, I mean, it did terrible for for over 10 years. Um, and that's kind of part of the theme we're kind of, you know, talking about today. Um, there is that potential out there when you focus on tech stocks or one sector like that, you know, but for, for professional stock analysts and investors, FANG kind of represents a quick look at the new titans of the American tech business. You know, each of these companies represents the mature, profitable, Internet-based mobile online economy at the level of a profitable Fortune 500 company like Twitter, you know, which is still struggling to make money. But <clears throat> those companies out there in FANG do are all very profitable. You know, and for amateur investors, though, FANG stocks represent kind of a, a mirage of investing for the future. You know, for those these Main Street investors, an investment in Google or Apple has become one of those, you know, uh, high-tech companies that you know about, um, you know, you know that it's going to go up because of how great the cutting-edge technology is. Unfortunately, everything they know about Apple and their new iPhones, for example, is already baked into the price. Um, so that raises the question of whether FANG stocks are a smart investment at all. You know, should you be focusing your portfolio on this kind of new new high-tech sector that has taken over a good part of the market? The answer, as always, kind of depends on your individual situation and your goals. Um, you know, it's easy to see that these stocks don't represent a well-diversified portfolio. Um, so there are some things you need to know about investing in these type of stocks, these FANG stocks, to avoid a potential catastrophe. So we're going to go through five things here you need to think about before you go put a large part of your portfolio <clears throat> into these, you know, well-known tech stocks. 
First, you, like any stock, you want to make sure that you understand you don't have any special insight into these companies or any other for that matter. Um, you know, these are worldwide brands that are closely followed by every investor out there from the guy with $3,500 in an online account to the billionaire hedge fund manager. And yes, you know, they know about the new iPhones and the Apple Watch. <laughs> you know, academic research shows that everything that can be known about that stock at that time is already in the price. Um, so if you're reading the news about a company, you're already too late to invest based on that information. The price reacts immediately to new breaking information and factors that into the price within minutes, literally within minutes. Um, in other words, you know, markets are pretty efficient, so you cannot get a leg up on other investors short of having some kind of inside, i.e. illegal information <clears throat> about a company. And, you know, unless you want to wear an ankle bracelet for a few years, you don't yeah. want to invest based on non-public information. Yeah, the only way to get an advantage is to have information that's not public, which is illegal. Right. That's right. That's exactly. People get locked exactly. up. So when you, I think what you said there is really important. When you're reading something in the paper or online, it's too late. It is too late to <clears> go <throat> invest on that. Yeah. I mean, to, 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 um, to have something positive happen from that, what you're reading there. So that's really good. Steve, the second one here is that, um, as individual tech companies, these stocks move on their own accord. Um, you know, a new iPhone is being released versus being really representative of technology as a whole. So aside from owning the entire sector, you're taking a lot of risk in owning a few stocks like these. And as impressive as these stocks have been recently, uh, there's certainly going to be a day when they underperform the market in a, in a big way, like technology did back in 2000. And, um, you know, the, the tech-heavy NASDAQ lost over 70% from March 2000 to June of 2002, and didn't fully recover for over 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a, long, a, it's a long time. That'll crash a lot of retirements. It will. And, you know, pretty much every one of them for that matter. You know, just like in controlling your spending, you have to resist owning, you know, the the last, you know, things that, that are shiny from an investment standpoint. Uh, or you're going to maybe have a disaster associated with it. So I know it's tempting. You look at the returns that we've been through recently. They've done very, very well, obviously, but not a, not a diversified way to invest. No, and and to your point, John, I mean, I actually knew a guy that uh, back in those days in 2000 that invested in the NASDAQ, put all of his retirement in in the QQQ, which was the NASDAQ exchange-traded fund at that time. And, you know, this was a smart guy, and he loaded up his portfolio with that. And he said, you know, Steve, I mean, this is a new economy, you know, and, and you know, I know that this isn't diversified, but I, I think this is – this is where it's at for the future. <clears throat> and unfortunately, you know, those the NASDAQ crashed, just like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It went down 70%. And, you know, years later, I talked to him, and he had he had lost the majority of his portfolio, never recovered because he was trying, having to draw money out for various things. It was a disaster. And so you got to avoid that temptation to load up your portfolio <clears throat> on just a few stocks or even a sector like that. Um, cause it, it, it won't last. It never lasts forever. <clears throat> so remember that the third thing here though, is, you know, know that these stocks, they tend to move together. Um, <clears throat> yes. I mean, only Apple sells iPhones, but more people buying iPhones means more people using Facebook, more people using Netflix and so on. 
you know, these are all in the same sector. I mean, these are technology companies with big international footprints. But as far as your asset allocation goes, these all count as large U.S. stocks. And in fact, they're only technology in large U.S. stocks. So in other words, if you want to own all five FANG stocks, you're going to need to diversify your portfolio somewhere else. Um, from a diversification standpoint, these stocks are all the same as large U.S. stocks and, and really are, are weighted toward technology. You need to have many more asset classes in your portfolio to be truly diversified. Yeah, and a uh, fourth one here on the list, Steve, is um, they won't always go up, like you mentioned. It's easy to look now and and wonder how there can even be a future without these type of companies, but it happens all the time. Go back into the 90s, look at how many lists Cisco um, was on as a, as a sure bet and a safe pick for a 20 or 10 or 20 year investment. And uh, just look at the, the top of this article to remember how many years Microsoft was uh, was a non-gainer. I mean, there was, you know, over 10 years for Microsoft that didn't make any money. Um, you know, so people couldn't imagine Microsoft not being a dominant company. And they're still dominant, but their stock prices went through a period of time where it made, you know, it performed very, very poorly. So treat these investments like any other stock. Just own a small piece inside a well-diversified portfolio. Um, you know, GE is another example of, it's not a tech company per se, but you know, great company. No one thought G would ever go through what they're going through now, but they haven't made money in like 17 years for their investors. Ouch. Yeah. <clears throat> That's an incredible long period of time. That's right. And that can happen. And, you know, and that, that, that brings us to our last point here. And that is that these companies by themselves, like any individual stock, are can be and will be very volatile. You know, if you're buying these individually – They'll need to be offset inside of a portfolio that's much more diversified and stable with more stable asset classes with hundreds of stocks like value stocks, international stocks, and even bonds. You know, while technology is an important sector and component of the U.S. market, it only represents about 21% of the S&P 500. So there's another 79% of large U.S. stocks to diversify into. And, of course, there are a lot more asset classes beyond large U.S. stocks. Eventually, tech will come back down off of its pedestal. Markets will be dominated by another sector or other asset classes. So you don't want to be caught in one asset class like these FANG stocks. And finally, you know, there is going to be news. Um, The old maxim and that, you know, to buy on the rumor and sell the news doesn't always work well with these companies, you know, as with others, because so many people are constantly trying to predict what the next move will be. That being said, buying the news on these companies is a fool's errand. Often the news gets overbought by households, investors that are leading, and it leads to a drop in the next few days, you know, couple that with bad news and you know, you then you bought at the top type situation. So you got to be careful here. I mean, buy these stocks based on their long-term prospects and their historical performance, you know, in the future, what their prospects are in the future and part of an overall asset class. The bottom line is you can't predict it. So if you own these stocks for the long term, um, <clears throat> you know, you need to put them in a diversified portfolio that's counterbalanced with a lot of other asset classes and a lot of other stocks. Fang stocks, they're, they're, tar- they're part of the entire technology sector, which has done very well this year. It's up over 20% this year, just that sector. It's the best sector in the market with a very narrow gains in the market this year otherwise. 
Only six sectors in the S&P 500 are, are, are positive this year. There are six other sectors that are actually underwater this year that have lost money. Um, so it is a very narrow market this year. These six stocks, you know, have five and six stocks have uh, dominated the market. <clears throat> and it's always tempting to pile your investments up into a few stocks or a sector that has done very well recently. But that would be the classic investing mistake. So remember, the entire S&P 500, it lost money for a decade from 2000 through 2009 you always need to remain well diversified if you want a, the best chance of making gains while limiting your risk. So stay on your flight plan, pl- fight plan. <clears throat> avoid trying to take a shortcut by concentrating your investments into the FANG stocks or any other sector for that matter. Simply enjoy the positive results you're getting from a, a piece of your portfolio overall today and hopefully the rest of the market's going to catch on and will catch up in the very near future so stay diversified that's the moral of the story here and that brings us up to our question of the week yeah steve we um we have to deal with this periodically when we have clients and someone passes away and in this case uh, husband passed away and the the wife uh, received half a million dollars in life insurance Question's always, what what do I do with this? And it really is specifically um, to the individual in their situation, you know, whether they should, you know, pay off debt, put some in cash, you have college, you have a lot of competing priorities. Um, But we generally say just wait, Um, wait three to six months to make any major decisions. A lot of times people get antsy and want to go spend it very, very quickly. And, um, you know, the, the, the key is, is take a breath, you know, step back. Talk with a couple of different people, get their input, and then you can kind of make some decisions. But certainly we, we're believers in paying off debt, emergency funds, the thing that, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to make any rash decisions, you know, if you've had a life-changing uh, situation like a loved one passing away. So you do want to take some time off. You want to think about it. You want to consult, you know, some advisors and uh, just make sure that you – that you kind of let the dust settle for, like you said, for three or six months and, and you know, then make a smart decision about how to apply those proceeds. But don't don't jump into anything. And, you know, I also tell widows that, you know, if their husband passes away, you know, don't go sell your house and make some decision about that immediately. You know, take your time. Make sure that you, you kind of know what your future is going to look like before you start start making big decisions. So, <clears throat> Good advice. Okay, and that leads us up to our, our next topic here, and that is the emotional purchases that can zap your savings. <clears throat> Dave Ramsey article, very, very good information here. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all, you know, fight to scrape and, um, you know, save emergency funds three to six months and paying off your debt and mm-hmm. so forth. So the problem a lot of times is, um, you know, you have emotional purchases and you don't want to, your emotions to trick you into thinking Something's an emergency when it's really not. So you got to watch out for these seven types of emotional purchases. They can really zap your money and, and bust your budget. So we'll start off, you know, really quick here talking about uh, flash sales, right? Yeah, you walk into a store and you know they're having their 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 huge sale that you know often happens around holidays and things. Um, so it's on sale. It's a great deal. So you know, just how how could you possibly let this great deal slip away, right? Um, it's easy, John. You walk away. That's it. <laughs> you know, you delete the email. You remind yourself it's not in the budget and you're not buying it, period. Um, and that may sound harsh, but, you know, these tiny impulses 
to purchase things, they can add up big over time. And before you know it, you've spent a huge chunk, uh, you know, of your budget and your money on something that isn't in your budget. And it's the random sale items. Um, so here's what you need to do. You need to give yourself and your spouse, you know, a budget line item for fun money. You know, this is money that you set aside to spend on things throughout the month or every few months on things that you, you really do just enjoy, right? Um, that could be a night out with your friends. Uh, it could be a, a round of golf, John. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> you know, it could be an awesome jacket that you've been eyeing that's finally on sale, you know, um, with free shipping, right? But um, so you got to have a line item for that. But it's got to be in your budget. That's the point. It can't be one of these, you know, random things that you just go and, and buy just because it's on sale that you don't really need. Yeah, that's right. The second one here on the list is celebrations and vacations can be emotional purchases. And yeah, your little princess only turns once, you know, five once. And um, but does she really need a kingdom of inflatables and uh, you know three tier castle cakes and the fairy dusting of some kind of Disney princess personator? The answer is no, <laughs> no, not, not my princess. <laughs> that's right. Don't let the excitement of a party planning run away with your emergency savings. You can certainly scale down the food and decorations and still be awesome parents. And you know your your child really wants you to spend time with them and attention. Um, that gives them more joy than a bouncy castle ever could. So that's not an emergency. You've got to be very, very careful there. And before we blame it all on the kids, Steve, uh, how about those vacation and anniversary getaways? Yeah, I I'll love those. Yeah, by all means, go out, you know, go have a good time if you can afford it. But, you know, save up, pay cash, and then book your room with a view. It'll make you feel better when it's paid for and um, you, it doesn't follow you back home and ruin and wreck your budget. Yeah, right? the key so is it's got to be in your budget. That's the key. That's a good one. Now, the next one here is <clears throat> big household items that are on sale. You know, I mean, you have an old dishwasher, old television, old mattress. It's tempting to replace it, isn't it? I mean, you see a new model on sale, um, you know, and it's got all the new features to it. It's, you know, just it's glistening there in the showroom, and it's, it's on a great sale, so how can you pass it up, right? Well, it's smart to pay less for a costly item most of the time, but you know you got to do it when it's <clears throat> when it when you don't have to take money from your reserves to do it. Um, so when you're going to replace an expensive item, only do it if it's well within your budget and you have a budgeted line item for replacing like old appliances. And when you have enough money saved up <clears throat> in that line item to replace it. Of course. Remember, though, I mean, you know, go for it. That's fine. But remember, just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean it's better. So yeah. I, I'm very cautious about replacing old appliances because sometimes you buy a new one. And they break. And it breaks like a year into it, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know, and then you got all the frustration of trying to get it fixed. I mean, and then sometimes you have an old one like our our range. It's been going for like 25 years, yeah. man. It still looks great. Keeps cranking. I'm like, honey, you know, let's just keep riding that puppy. <laughs> I mean, so. I'll have to ask her about that you one. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> All right. Another one here on the list is out of town or destination weddings. Don't let that bust your budget. Even if you love your extended family and friends, don't be guilted into overextending yourself uh, in honor of your cousin's big day. So you may have some some choices to make. I mean, a simple wedding gift should really smooth over any dis- disappointment. And, you know, that, that's hard. If it's somebody that's close to you, uh, you got to figure out how to do that on a budget probably. But uh, be careful. Don't be um, guilted into doing that. And the sixth one here, Steve, the reason why I didn't let you talk about this, pet surgeries. I'm not that sure those are two words that would come, <laughs> come to your 
Come now, to your mind. Hey, I love pets, John. Right. You stop right there. I got my cat, you know, KJ. She's a lovely cat. And pet surgery. I'm sure if she had a heart attack or something, I'd have her at the ER immediately. I'm sure you would. And we and we all love pets, Steve, like you. Um, so this one's a little bit tricky, right? You got to make a decision. I'll, I'll tell you, um, when, when, <laughs> when Tammy and I first started... When we were first married, we had a dog that had a major surgery. It was $1,500. First job out of school. And, and I had had a guy that I worked with um, that I still stay in contact with. And he's like, you're paying how much to fix that dog? <laughs> yeah, I, I met with, I'll tell you, I met with somebody just this week. I think it was, well, last week maybe. And um, uh, they had a pet and the the dog had... Something go wrong. It was something with the heart. They were going to have to go get some some kind of surgery, and it was going to cost eight thousand oh, dollars. And uh, you know, she chose not to do it, and the dog recovered. Mm. And so, you know, so amazingly, you know, thankfully, yeah. the dog recovered. But well, uh, wow, I mean, you could wreck your entire you know yeah. budget for years. So if you're in that situation, you want to you know you want Fluffy to have that new heart or whatever. Get a second opinion. Um, see if they'll do cash discounts and so forth. We're we're animal lovers, so we've we've paid out for something like that in the past, not eight thousand dollars, but um, that's a tricky one. But you got to be careful with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Next one here on the list is home renovations. You know, I mean, thanks to HGD, HGTV, you know, the do-it-yourself remodels have never been more tempting and entertaining, right? You see it done on TV, and it looks so looks easy. easy yeah. Right, until it's your mm-hmm. remodel job, right? I mean, the formula starts with your simple bathroom retile, which, you know, reveals maybe a nasty mold problem, and that turns into a leaky pipe problem, and... You know, if you're like me, you, you step on a pipe and you break it and it floods the bathroom, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that happened to me, really. Um, so, you know, I mean, y- y- you don't know. I mean, it's going to turn into a lot more probably than what you've budgeted. And uh, you ke- and then all of a sudden you get the attitude, I don't care how much it costs, I'm just going to fix it now, right? So your emergency fund <clears throat> is not going to be a oops, I broke it type fund or oops, I started this project and it and it ballooned on me type fund. Um, you have to be careful about that. If you need to make home repairs, set up a budget so you don't dig into your savings. Plan a cushion for the unexpected cost, um, like treating the nasty mold or some other job or for having maybe a pro come in and finish the job. So you got to have a big cushion for these home improvement type projects and recognize that it could it could double in cost. So make sure you don't get trapped with that one. Yeah, and the last one here on the list, Steve, that can break your budget is is family loans. I mean, emotions can certainly run high when you combine family and money, and you want to help them, but the key is to do it the right way. I mean, we're just going to say it. Don't let family members borrow money from you. It only strains the relationship, and never give them money from your emergency fund either. If you end up giving them anything, give cash and and, uh, give it as a gift versus a loan. That's right. It's a sticky area we we run across occasionally as well. So how do do you manage these emotional purchases. Well, really controlling your emotions is the key uh, to saving up your emergency fund and creating healthy money habits. But that's easier said than done. Uh, We live in a culture that encourages you to buy on emotion. You know, you're celebrating a new promotion, you buy a new car, make a new purchase. You know, you deserve it, Steve. You've had a rough week. That's right. Go buy a golf club. We do reserve deserve it. It's okay, Steve. I think you're right. Go shopping to lift your spirits. <laughs> yeah, I'm like going golf now, right now. That's and right. Book my next tea time. Don't John. do it. Don't do it. So <laughs> the key is, is you've got to define what really is an emergency. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so you know, the simple way um, to find that out is, you know, before you dip into the emergency fund, think about and ask yourself. 
these three questions. Is it unexpected? Is it necessary? And is it urgent? You know, if it's not though all three of those things, it's got to be unexpected, necessary, and urgent. If it's not all three of those things, then you need to budget for it mm-hmm. <clears throat> because you don't have to dip in your emergency fund that's something that that is routine, that's not unexpected, or something that's not necessary that you can wait for, like replacing your windows perhaps or you know, something that's not urgent, you know, that you can, you know, put off for a while. And I think another uh, piece of advice that we've given over the years, Steve, is, you know, wait 24 hours, right? If you're, exactly. if you have an urge to go buy or purchase something, uh, wait 24 hours. Um, well, yeah. And I say a month. I mean, that yeah. used to be my, I mean, you know, if you can see something in the store, typically, you know, you can wait a month and, and really, and then you really know if it's a need or not, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a great trick. I, I got a call from a, a, a client yesterday and he was like, all right, so the the financial plan that we did, if I like retire in, in uh, now versus January, does it change? I'm like, no, it doesn't really move the needle that much. And I'm like, but from a friend standpoint, um, you're thinking about walking out today. I said, why don't you sleep on it? <laughs> don't yeah. make her. It had a really bad day. And I'm like, just sleep on it. You know, think about it. Give it a couple of days and uh, yeah. make a decision. then. So. Exactly. Yeah. Don't do it in the heat of the emotion. That's for sure. Great advice. Okay. And that leads up to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So if you have older parents and you're helping them uh, manage that process, make sure you understand where their assets and their liabilities are. Um, I had just uh, had a client who was helping their uh, their father out, and the father just passed away. And she came in with a, a one-page document um, of all of the policies and numbers, and it was very well organized. That's she'd, great. She had had it for a year, so she'd been okay. working towards it. And it just helped um, the process, and it was I was able to help her a lot more by seeing that. Uh, she had, she was very well organized. So a lot of times that's, that's the hardest part is putting these pieces together. And when you do it after the fact, a lot of times people miss stuff. And in some cases it goes to the state, right? You never get it. Exactly. Yeah. You don't claim it. State planning is very important and having an organized list of where the assets are for elderly parents. Um, if you're in that situation is, is going to be very helpful, very important. And you may find out some things are not titled well, you know, or you find stocks that are just in individual little, little dividend reinvestment accounts and, and are all scattered around or are not in one brokerage account. You would massively simplify the process. You put them all in one brokerage account, um, and make sure that things are titled, you know, properly so that they pass you know, outside of probate. Um, so there's a lot you can do, but the first step is to get organized and make sure you have it all in, the, in one place where you can see what your parents have and you can see that it's well organized. It's a touchy situation, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. very important situation. So you need to be working toward that end. You have elderly parents to make sure you understand their assets and liabilities. So good prescription of the week. Okay, and that leads us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Dan Associates, a registered investment advisor.